Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, BBN, TD, the 96 champ, UK legend, and I are back for another episode of the Believe in Kentucky podcast. What's going on, Shooter? Ma'am, hey, all is well. Just uh, just left the court, was working with one of my up-and-coming uh, freshmen, no, actually sophomore, he's a sophomore, over at Mount Verde here in Georgia, and really good, really good point guard. And I told him, I didn't want to tell him today. I had to tell his dad. It was the best shooting I've seen, best shooting performance that he's had under my tutelage. So I'm impressed. And now, if I remember correctly, you said a few weeks ago that it's kind of hard to impress you. You was at Walter McCarty. Yeah. It was hard to impress you, and you were impressed. Now this young fella just impressed you. So he, he's doing something right, it sounds like. Yeah, you know what? He had been um, – I think he's been doing – uh, shooting machine workout and uh, so we kind of you know we've been talking back and forth and I was here Wednesday I did a quick interview with Danny Manning he, and he stopped by and we did you know we kind of shot around just playing around a little bit but his shot looked much better last week and uh, his dad his dad texted me early this morning and asked me can I get him in the gym I was like sure you know I definitely work him in and we finished with our I do high school and college kids from 12 to 2 we had about four guys in the gym uh, but you know, I had a, I had about an hour and a half, and my my man Chase stopped by, and man, we got it, we got it in, we got it in for about an hour. He went hard for an hour fifteen by itself. So really, for kids to really build that cardio and build that motor, you have to be able to work out by yourself. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey, is Danny Manning just gonna lay low this year? Is he gonna be an analyst? He trying to coach and get on his feet? Is he just chilling? I think uh, I think he was going more towards being an analyst and probably just taking a year off and detoxing and you know refreshing and and coming back to be a coach because he he is a coach you know certain guys when I meet him um, you know I see him still kind of you know figure out what they really want to do and sometimes you know your one job will push you towards another job but some people have it in them you know when you've done something 15 20 years you've been assistant coach for so for so long, like, you know, the only thing you know is coaching. You know, it's hard to transition to another uh, another career. And I think that's where he's at right now is trying to figure out, you know, if this is something that will be long-term. But it's always good to have, you know, another occupation, something else that you're good at. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't want to put all your peas in one basket. And, you know, I'd rather be versatile. It's kind of like how the game is, you know, where, where the game has changed so much where you have – positionless basketball and that has allowed so many players you know like myself if I was still playing 
in today's time, I wouldn't have to worry about being a certain height to play a position. You know, I would have been considered a guard. And, I, I, you know, if I could play both positions, great. But if I had a skill set that allowed me to be great at something, that coaches would allow me to do that. Kind of like what you're seeing now with, you know, you might have two or three guards on the court that could be under six feet or two or three guards that are six one, six feet, six two, which back 15, 20 years ago, you know, you could only be a point guard and then you sometimes small, small point guard. But the way the game is now, it allows kids who do have a skill set who can shoot, pass, and dribble to get on the court. And as far as Kentucky is concerned, when you bring up Danny Manning, uh, everybody is ex excited. Or hoping, you know, Olivier Saar transferred from Wake Forest to Kentucky, the big man, Danny Manning, uh, after Danny Manning was let go of Wake Forest. Everybody on that end has is, is been supportive and, and, you know, putting in a good word for him to try to get his paperwork approved to play for Kentucky. Right. And, and we got a chance to talk about Olivier, and I totally kind of reminded me of um, Willie Colley Stein. And he said he felt like he was a better offensive player. He said Willie was a much better defensive player because Willie can switch out on ones and twos. He can switch out on point guards. He can guard multiple positions. But Olivier, I think he's, you know, he's a better, uh, more efficient offensive player. So he's a little bit ahead of uh, Willie in the offensive department. But, you know, Willie was a really good, long, lengthy, athletic player. And I think some of that is, you know, was due to him playing, you know, high school football, you know, just having really good instincts, having great hips. Um, the way the game is now, you have to be able to have a big second switch out and be able to guard a, a quick a Dane Lillard, uh, a Russell Westbrook, a CP3, even as he's older, he's still real crafty with that ball. And that's kind of like where the game is at right now, is just having long, athletic, lengthy bigs and guys that, you know, and they have to be able to put the ball on the floor. That's where the game has changed. You know, when I came in in the, uh, the mid-'90s, it was more about the power forward to center. Those guys really clogged up the lane. And as you see the game now, you might have five guys, you know, five out, you know, and nobody inside or, or four out, one in. But that's where the game has, you know, has to me where the game really has evolved is that the skill set of the fours and five is, is, is high level now. Was Willie one of the best you've ever seen to do that as far as guarding ones and twos and all positions switching out, being at the top of the key? Was he one of the best you've seen at the college level to do that? From big, he was definitely he's definitely one of the best I've seen at the collegiate level. You know, to be a a true seven footer that was comfortable. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes it happens, and guys are uncomfortable They're like a fish out of water. It's like, oh man, I, I'm switching off on this guard, and you giving them ten feet. But he could switch out, and not only hard heads you and bless you to have court, he could switch out and contain you. You know, at that level. And that's something that's, that made him a special defender, you know. And I had the luxury of playing with my last year in Detroit. Um, ben Wallace was great at it. Uh, ben Wallace was great at it. When I played in Greece, Panathinaikos, there was a guy by the name of Mike Batiste. Those were like two of the, two of the best four men who could blow up a pick and roll. And most of the time, because in scouting reports, those guys were never involved in pick and roll because they could either switch them or they could blow them up. So that was a – when you think about a Willie College sign, and especially 
you know, just where he's at now. I know he's not going to the uh, – he's not going to be in the bubble, not going to, uh, to Orlando. But just being a good defender in today's game as a long, lengthy, athletic, athletic big, you're going to have a job. Absolutely. Look, we are rolling like we do, y'all. Uh, Believe in Kentucky. Go to Believe.com and listen straight off the website. Uh, iTunes, Stitcher, CastBox, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us those five stars on iTunes. Tell your friends about us. Spread the word the old school way. Word of mouth referrals. Nothing <laughs> better than that. Um, and this is, as I mentioned, Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. You can follow them at Believe Podcast. Follow Tony at TL Delt the Bureau. You can follow me at Benny Hardy. Benny with a Y. Hardy with a Y. This time next week, we'll have actual NBA games to talk about TD, which is yeah, man. It starts tonight, you know. It uh, does. When you, when you, let me just ask you this. When you watch a game, what happens? Mm-hmm. If, if you're on your couch, you're in your man cave, do you watch as a former player? Do you watch as a coach? you watch as an analyst? What hat do you put on when you're just sitting back, kicking it, watching game? Or do you watch as a fan? You know what I mean? That that is probably that. That's an interesting question, man. You know, and it's funny that you asked me. You know, from a yeah, I know, right? <laughs> from an analyst standpoint, uh, from a coaching, from a coaching standpoint, player, and as a fan, I think I'm, I think I'm all for man. You know, and and that's is it's kind of unique. You know, when you think about watching a sport, having played it, having coached it. Uh, being an analyst and also just enjoying it just from, like I said, from my couch, uh, from a sports bar, which I won't be at tonight. Social distancing is still taking place. But, um, you know, I just really enjoy the game, man. I sit back and, you know, I think I'm more from the one mode I'm probably, I would most probably be in would be a, um, I'll be in the coaching mode and just trying to really break down the game. But, seeing what I can take from the game itself and kind of share with my players, you know, how I know it's the highest level, but I told one of my, one of my young players today, I said, listen, you know, you could be a good shooter. If you get, you know, get your footwork down, your mechanics get better and just understand who you are. So I told him, I said, you know what, go watch JJ Reddick. I said, JJ Reddick probably has made over a hundred million dollars. Easily made over a hundred million dollars. But he know he but he knows who he is. You know what I'm saying? Like he's not trying to be a D Wade, a Kevin Durant, a Steph Curry. So once you identify who you are, then try to be the best version of that person that you can possibly be. And if kids can do that, the game is easy because now you're not trying to be someone who you are not. Be the best you you can be. And that means I have to come in, work hard, and stay a little bit later. Because you, you might not have – you might not be the most talented person, but that don't mean you can't be the hardest worker, the hardest worker in the building. And that's what, that was my mentality was that I had a com- – I had both combinations. I had some talent, but I also worked hard. You know, I, I enjoyed working hard, sweating, going through a couple of T-shirts, staying three or four hours, man, putting my body through so much pain. And, you know, it was gratifying, and, and it, was, it was definitely rewarding. You know, now, but, but I'm hurt now, though. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know it, it would it would have my body aching, you know, 10 or 15 years after the fact. But uh, but when I think about it, it was it was definitely, you know, worth worth all the hard work. Yeah, for sure. Oh, definitely going to talk more basketball. 
got to switch it back to you for a few little different things. I saw uh, your 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 better half, Miss Nicole, on Instagram posted that you are about to be inducted into the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame. So congratulations <laughs> to your home state for for getting that in and getting that taken care of. Hall of yeah, Fame. man, they they are. They, I guess they recognize this old fella, man. You know what I'm saying? I guess I had a a pretty good high school career, college, and you know I made it to the NBA. But, you know, just to represent my state, man, I'm, I'm, I've always, when I go back uh, each and every year, I haven't been back this year, which I will get back at some point in time to see my siblings, family, friends, and teachers. Man, I, I, love, I love the state of Tennessee, and I love my hometown, Brownsville, Tennessee, man. It's, it's done so much for me. And, you know, for the last two years, you know, I've been giving back. I've been going back doing a, a free clinic with the help of uh, – Connor's Realty out of Jackson, one one office in Brownsville. Uh, Delk's Body Shop, which is my first cousin, Ivy Delk. Uh, Greg Ben Story, a, a longtime friend of the family. And just so many people in the community have helped out, man. So I'm missing it this year. Um, I would have loved to have gotten back and, you know, given back to the community. But, you know, probably in the next couple of years, we'll get the ball back rolling. But that's something that I always, you know, I didn't have a lot of growing up. You know, we didn't have. Uh, what I am, what I have right now with my kids is just being able to have a gym, go practice in, be a part of a team. And, you know, so I was just really trying to go back and give back and teach them and have them build, build confidence and trust in who they are, working on, working on your certain parts of your game, believing that, okay, if Tony Delcave is from this small town, anything is possible. So really just restoring hope in some kids, but also restoring that, you know, with hard work, you can't accomplish a lot. Absolutely. Um, is there a uh, a date or a location for the induction ceremony, or like, were they gonna like officially? No, we were. Um, you know, it was planned on. We were planned on having it um, actually next month, which is <laughs> which is right around the corner. But uh, they sent out all the awards to all the the. Uh, most of the guys, you know, most of us, because we had older people. So uh, they called us to kind of see, you know, if we were up to coming. And I just told them, you know, I have, you know, older brothers, sisters with underlying health issues, and it probably wouldn't be, you know, the best interest for my family to be there. And then my two daughters who have sickle cell disease, uh, I would definitely want them to be there with me to celebrate. But uh, we talked about it, and uh, we came up with the resolution of just, you know, probably doing it virtual at some point in time, but uh, everyone, all the participants were sent out awards. And, you know, so that was a great thing about it was that we got a chance to get our awards, which is beautiful. I really, I, I took a picture with it. I was like, man, this is super nice. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, something else I could add to my, I'm, I'm, it's funny too, because my uh, AAU programming teams, you know, we won three championships and we got a run up trophy and we're throwing the trash can. I don't, I don't like run up trope. No, just joking, just playing. Uh, but no, no, we have my third grade have won two championships, my ninth grade won a championship. So right now I have four trophies and the trophy that I just received from uh the Hall of Fame committee. But I'm considering giving me a I don't want to jump the gun, but I already have, you know, four trophies right now. So I could go out and invest and give me a trophy case. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I'm thinking about. You know what I'm saying? It's different when you only got like one trophy to put in there and be like, man, we're going to have, we're going to win more five, six, seven, eight, nine championships. And 
I buy, I go out and spend that money on that trophy case, and I still, I would only have one in there. So the good thing about it, I can't jinx myself because I already have four. And actually, the one I got from the Hall of Fame committee, that makes five. So I can, I can have me a, a case with some trophies in it. It'd be money well spent at this point, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so here, here's my question to you. I know, uh, kind of going back to basketball, back to the NBA, Tom Thibodeau got another job. What do you think about the New York Knicks who have struck out several times with head coaches? What do you think about them hiring Tom Thibodeau? Yeah, I was, I was thinking the same thing when I saw that and, and how what you might be thinking of. But first of all, I was surprised that he's 62. I, I mean, time is flying. So he's <laughs> he's kind of, I mean, he's going to be in the bubble, but from a health standpoint, he ain't no spring chicken no more. I didn't <laughs> – 62, I didn't realize that. Uh, but, I mean, we've seen, you know, Jackson be there in the front office – David Fisdale, who was there with you, was up there, who I still think is a good coach, who's just been in bad situations every time he's had an opportunity. Yes. He didn't get but two seconds in New York to try to do He didn't something. get his just due. You know what I'm saying? He didn't get it. I just – I don't think anybody can Dolan proof the Knicks. I don't care who you put up there. I mean, Red Arback could be up there. I don't think he could fix it. So do you think – so do you think ownership needs to change or front office needs to change? Because to me, it always starts at the top. So you think ownership or front office? I think, I mean, I'm not, I meant to look up when he actually bought the Knicks because, I mean, they made it to the finals in 94, lost to my Rockets, made it again in 99. But since he's been there, I think it's ownership. I mean, you you kicking Charles Oakley out, you kicking fans out who – tell you to sell the team because you're too sensitive to take criticism. <laughs> didn't Spike Lee because he didn't Can't tell a man that in his house, man. Come on, man. That's his, that's his home, man. That's his building. I, how you going to disrespect me in my house? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going to kick you out of my building, man. What do you, what do you think? <laughs> After putting that product on the court all these years and then <laughs> criticism from New Yorkers? I mean, man, he, hey, what, what, what he wants you to do is keep buying them tickets and shut up. That's all it. In his mind, keep buying these, these expensive tickets because, like you said about Spike Lee, Spike Lee has spent so – he spent probably in the millions of dollars on tickets. And like you said, you know, it's, you know he is – it really had no, – no one else has been the face of the franchise in the last 10 years other than Spike Lee. That's it. Because nobody else I can say, I'd be like, man, New York Knicks, who do I reckon? Nobody. Because coaches always getting fired. Front office people, we don't know who they are. The owner, we definitely know who he is because of, you know, what has happened in the last 10 or more years. But um, going back to Thibodeau, you know, not to say I was kind of salty. I was like, man, you know, he, he's getting the third opportunity at a job. Mm -hmm. But when I went back and looked at his resume, because, you know, I'm, I'm always doing my research, the man paid his dues. So I had to back up off of him. The man was an assistant coach for 20 years. So when I looked at his body work from when he started, you know, he was with the Knicks, he's, he's with the, the Spurs, uh, Boston, he's, he's, with, he's with a lot of teams. So when I look at his body work and see him get three jobs, I am perfectly fine with it. Because now you're not looking at what he's done, what he, what he did with Chicago, what happened in Minnesota, is that when we look at his body of work, did he pay his dues? Absolutely. 20 years as an assistant. That's paying your dues. 
and and we got to look at the guys who didn't pay their dues. And there were a bunch of them guys that either went straight from being a player to coaching or from an analyst to coaching. And when you look at him, especially – it's, it's a little bit different to coach the circle because they know the grind of coaching. But for a player, we know the grind of being a player. So there's some – sometimes there can be a disconnect there. And I think that's the hardest thing for people when they look at player coach is it's easy for players to understand it's a player's league and it should be a player's league. But I think with Tib, it's been hard because his, his disconnect come because he didn't play the game and he was a grinder. So he was more on the coach's side of it more so than a coach that was a player who'd been around players who played the game. So I can't understand where he stands and, and his work ethic that he's trying to implement and enforce on other guys. But that's just not how the game is right now. So he has to make an adjustment on his coaching philosophy and his style in order to accommodate today's players. And he, he knows what he's getting into because he was an assistant in New York for like seven years. So he knows, yeah. knows what he's getting into going back as the head coach there. Do you think, I mean, there's rumors that, you know, they, they were going to try to come out to Kenny Payne because uh, Worldwide West is up there. Let's <laughs> run at Carl Towns in free agency because he's from the New mm-hmm. Jersey. Do you see any of that materializing or is there any legs to that? Uh, you know what? I don't think it's any legs, you know, and and, I, and Kenny, man, such a great dude, man. Kenny, Kenny should have been a head coach. This, this should be Kenny. We should be talking about Kenny in his fourth or fifth year at, some, at someone's university, man, but just so knowledgeable about the game, uh, you know, t- a tireless worker. You know, you can go back and look at all these guys and his years of being at Kentucky. And from a development standpoint, Kenny has developed a lot of – he's helped develop players, but also he created a, such a work ethic from those guys, you know, because they respected him. Uh, he knew the game. He, he was, you know, a, tech, a technician, you know, when it comes to uh, what he sees from a player, how to dig – how to get them to dig deep. And that's the hardest thing for – a high school player to go from high school to college and understand how much work that's required. You know what I'm saying? You, you work hard in high school. You'd be like, but sometimes you're more talented and you don't have to work as hard, but Kenny going to get the most out of you, man. Like I saw, I, when I was on coach, coach Cal staff, um, the two years I was there, man, I saw him turn Josh Harrison into a pro. And what I mean, turn him into a pro man, like this, like, when that season started, you know, as a staff, we were just talking, man. We were just going back and forth. And then we looked at our center position, you know, and that was the year that actually Ennis Cantor was there, which we would have loved to have had him. Who knows what we, what we could have done that year. But we was like, man, we got Josh Harris. I mean, so in my mind, I didn't, I didn't know how – I probably saw us going first round. I was like, man, there's no way we're going to be able to get to the Final Four with this team, especially with him leading it true because – he wasn't mature. You know what I'm saying? Even though he was a senior, he was so immature. But Kenny got with him. And, man, when I tell you he turned that kid into a professional, it was real. You know what I'm saying? Like, he gave him a, a, a career in the NBA, you know, where he can always look back and say, hey, I was an NBA player. But that wouldn't have happened if it weren't for Kenny. And he's still playing now. I think he's in Japan right now. Still. Yeah. Still making money, man. Still making money. Yeah. So, man. And, and the dudes just love KP. I mean, he puts them through it, but they love him. You know, Carl I call him. Uh, 
I call him Major Pain. You ever see the movie Major Pain? <laughs> that's perfect, man. You can't, I can't let that was, that's, that joke's just on the T, man. Just perfect. <laughs> man, we talked about, well, we texted earlier in the week about how your ears were burning because I was on Dick Gabriel's show and, you know, first thing, we we not talking baseball. We talk UK. But the first thing he asked was about this podcast. He said, he's doing a podcast with Tony Dell. So plug the podcast and got to talking about how, you know, you don't even, not even a big MLB fan, but how you do your research and you're on it. I said, yeah, look, Tony, man, he's not even an MLB fan, but we had Tom Leach on last week. And Tony, right off the bat, was talking about the details of Mookie Betts' contract and signing bonus and boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and, you know, so we was plugging that. And he asked about the wine, talked about your profits going to KC. Right. But all of that. Just what, Monday, Monday night I was on there as a guest. So got to give a shout out to the pod and to you. So if your ears are burning for that, they should have been on fire these past couple of days because Oscar Combs was tweeting about you. Big O, the historian, knows mm-hmm. all things UK. Um, <laughs> we thought K Wood left for last week, who's from the same county as I am. I'm from Harlem. Yeah. Just like K Wood. Um, right. Up with the radio on and the TV muted. And, you know, we, the whole state loves K Wood, but where I'm from, look, hey, K Wood, dog, it's, he's that dude. Right. He's from the neighboring county. He's from Perry County, which is right next to Harlan County, right in the mountains, too. we right there in southeastern Kentucky together. He owned the Tri-City News, which was a little paper in my hometown. Oscar owned that for a couple of years before he went on wow. to, uh, to get the cat's paws off the ground. Cat's paws, yeah. I had no idea. This was like uh, mid-70s. So it was, I was born mm-hmm. in 77. I mean, this is when he owned the little Tri-City News, sold that, goes on and, and you know, gets the cat's paws roll. I had no idea that Oscar was even doing that in my little hometown back in the day. But right. he put out on Twitter, was it yesterday, just his personal thoughts on the five most important Kentucky basketball recruits over the past 30 years. And he's put, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll list my four, and he's just let everybody else fill in the blank on who they thought their fifth one was. Right. Uh, Jamal Mashburn. Anthony Davis, Tony Dell, Antoine Walker, the most impactful recruits over the past 30 years. And <laughs> you right in that mix, man. I mean, like I said, man, Oscar has seen a lot of Kentucky basketball, but just a lot of basketball in general. But, you know, to be on that list, I mean, it speaks volume for where I came from, you know, because I got a chance to play in one year with Mash and Antoine and I both played two years together. And it's funny too, because I, I, I missed AD by one by one year. I left the year that AD came. So, you know, interacting with, you know, and playing with two of those guys, it was um, you know, I didn't think about how important a recruit I was gonna be. I came in with a great recruiting class, Roger Rose, uh, Rodney Dent, Walter McCarty, Jared Prickett. You know, we had the top recruiting class back in ninety-two. And I never forget just coming in and not really, you know, getting my just due. Because if people really look at my career, I didn't have a great freshman season. So my body of work was between my sophomore and my senior year. You know, that's what you got to look at. What I did those three years when I was or turned into be, you know, one of the best players on my team. 
But I went from probably being a seventh to eighth score, uh, best player on a uh, 1993 Final Four team to help lead my team to the national championship three years later. So for those people who, you know, it's not how you start your career, you know, that was, it wasn't a great start for me. And to the point where I thought about, man, you know what, this, this might not be the place for me. And I was having this conversation with one of the kids that I was working out. I said, you know, everyone wants to go to uh, Kentucky, Duke, North, is this, all the elite schools. But you should want to go to a school that wants you and will allow you to play and play the style of play that is conducive to your game. And when I made that decision to go to Kentucky, it was, it was tailor-made for me. They played up and down, up-tempo. But the guys that I had in front of me were older guys, and they wasn't going to let no freshmen come in, no matter what my accolades were. And just to come in and, you know, being one of the top players, you know, I was thinking I'm going to come right in. You know, averaging 30, 38 in high school, man, I'm about to light Kentucky up right now. I don't know who, who the best score is. And I had to really just, you know, put my game on hold, you know, to kind of learn the, co- the collegiate game. But also, you know, we had a great player in Mass. You know, Mass was really good. And I know, you know, when you look at that list, I guess Mass, you know, they contributed him bringing, bringing Kentucky from the dead. But I don't even know that, you know, because I wasn't a fan. So whatever happened in 88, 89 um, with Coach Sutton or them going on probation, coming off probation, I had no recollect of that. So when they look at the top recruits, you know, especially some of those guys like maybe Antoine, AD, myself, uh, even Mash, you know, because Mash is from New York, is we didn't know how important it was to get Kentucky back, you know, back, back, back on the map, supposedly. Not really back on the map, but, you know, just now you're a topic of conversation again, you know, instead of just being, you know, a topic of conversation 14 that was on probation. It's like now, you know, this team is off probation. They're getting the best players. They, now they're going to the Final Four. They're going to lead eight. So, you know, who was behind that is, you know, you really got to give it to Coach Patino because mm-hmm. he made all the decisions to go out and get these guys. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, we believed in what, in what he was preaching because without him being there, you know, I don't go. I know Mash doesn't come from Mash, New York. You know, if, if Billy Donovan is not at Kentucky, I'm, I'm sure I don't go there. And, you know, who knows what would have happened because, you know, I was important. One, one of the, I was one of the important players for us to win the championship, but we don't know who would have been, who would have been Tony Doe from 92 to 96, or who would have, who would have thought that after having such a bad freshman season, why would I stay? You know what I'm saying? I know my services were needed other places. I knew I had a, a skill set and a talent of scoring, but I didn't feel like I was giving the proper opportunity as a freshman, but I still believed in myself. You know, so for Oscar to say that, I think Oscar's kind of saw my importance, but when people look at my body work, if they go back and look at me as a freshman, you probably won't even remember, remember me being on the roster. You'd be like, Tony Duck, you actually played as a freshman? You was, you was on that 93 Final 14 that went against Michigan? Yeah, I was on that, I was on that team. Matter of fact, when Dale Brown slid into the table to save a loose ball, I'm, I'm, I tell Dale, now, man, man, why don't you just let the ball go out of bounds? Man, the ball's already out of bounds. Why are you sliding? Because we probably could have won a championship that year because Dale was having a great game, uh, mashing up, falling out, but we lost Dale. And if I were the player, I became my sophomore year. If I was that player my freshman year, you know, we could have transitioned, could transition me right in and be a score because that's what we were missing because everything was really 
relying on Mashburn. But Dell was, the, you know, he was the second. He was our second scorer in that game because Travis, you know, they put six nine uh, Jalen Rose on him, so he was you know, Travis five nine five ten. He couldn't see the basket, so they 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 took him out, and we needed that second and third scorer because Mass was going to get his, but then we needed someone else. And when Dale slid into the table, I mean, none of us were really ready for that stage, you know, myself and uh, some of those other guys because we were in the rotation, but we weren't weren't in the rotation as a scorer, so. Being important or a top recruit requires, you know, you know, just you to come in and play, but can you sustain where you left off at? So really, I took a year off to come back to be a better player my sophomore season. Mm-hmm. And I got a quote from Oscar today, too. You got to keep your ears burning, but I'll get back to that. Um, let me just go and do that now then, and then I go back to what I was – no. Where uh, you said – Mashburn was uh, key to turning things around he in, that, in that probation season. A lot of people credit, you know, John Wall following Cal from Memphis to Kentucky for helping mm-hmm. him turn things around after, you know, the two years of Billy Gillespie. <laughs> Mashburn was that times a lot more. compared As important as a pick as Wall was, Mash was that important because Kentucky was dead. It was probation. It was, you know, guys leaving. You know, Reggie has yeah. credit for staying, and he didn't really have to. He stayed and played out. Right. Of and, you know, uh, went through some lean years. Right. Well, 92, 93 stuff to happen. So, yeah, Mashburn does get a lot of credit, as he should. And it was like yeah. wall recruitment on steroids for what it did for turning the program around. Yeah, um, I, I, but when I, when I look at it, B, it wasn't like – I mean, I didn't go to – to technically, I didn't go to play with Mash. I went to play with, I went to play with the guys who were coming in my class. Like I knew Mash, but I didn't know Mash. You know what I'm saying? Because I didn't really grow up being a Kentucky fan. So even as I was being heavily recruited by them, I was still kind of connected to Memphis because I was closer to them. Uh, I played with some of those guys. I played against some of those guys in high school. And um, I still didn't become a Kentucky fan until really I got on campus. You know, I knew I was going there. I love what happened Midnight Madness. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, you know, this is a, a great – it has great atmosphere, just a, a great feel, you know, just how great the fans were. But it wasn't like I was like, man, I'm going to play with Mashburn. No, that was never anything that, – that was never going to be a selling point for me. You know what I'm saying? I, as great as he was um, – you know, because I knew how good I was. You know, I not to take anything away from Mash, but I believed in Tony Delp, you know, because I know what I had done in order before I got there. And I'm like, you know, I just got to keep my legacy going. And the guys I came in with, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to prove how, how good I am. And I wouldn't even think about the NBA, but I knew how impactful I could be once the opportunity was given to allow me to do what I was really good at. And that was scoring and not really trying to, convert me and make me this player. Okay, you got to play behind this guy is that if you're honest with me up front, then I know exactly what I'm, what I'm walking into. Mm-hmm. And once I know that, now I can rock with that. Mm-hmm. Just finishing up, though, Oscar was on uh, – he was on Tom Leach's show today. I was listening to work, and Tom asked him about that tweet, you know, the, the most important recruits in the past 30 years. They got to talking about you. Oscar went on to say that – and I'm kind of paraphrasing – that you are arguably even the most underappreciated player. He said, because you were on a great team, you got yourself on a great team, other great players, 
and he said he said Tony wasn't didn't have didn't have that flair. He wasn't really flashy. He said he went out there shimmying like Antoine. He was you mm-hmm. know just went about his business on the court. He's mild mannered, highly successful, and so he's, he's you get kind of underappreciated for how great you really were. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, you, you know what I. And it's funny you said it too, because that's what I'm saying about like when people look at the scoring, because because even as good as Mash, you know, and and my my goal was, you know, because I was I was kind of pissed. I was like, you know what? If I ever get a chance, you know, if I'm gonna see where this scoring where this scoring can lead me, because I knew at some point in time, if I stay long enough, I'm a, I'm gonna pass it. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, because I know I knew I was gifted at, but also I played both ends of the court, so I didn't only just play. You know, before Wayne Turner passed me and steals, you know, I was number two on the steals list. If you look at the most points in NCAA history, I think I might be one on that. So I took care of my business. No, I, I didn't have to go out there and be flashed. Now I'm not taking care of my business offensively. I wanted and I did guard the best player, uh, best perimeter player on every team. That was the, So I brought two different phases to the game, not only scoring, but I also could defend, you know, and – and, you know, that's something that sometimes is underappreciated, too, because we had such a great team and we beat so many teams. But I was spearheading, you know, us as far as on the defensive side of the ball. You know, we had really good uh, really good defenders, you know, with, with Derek being one. Walter was long and athletic. We had some other guys that can come. Wayne was a really good defender. Um, but when it came down to, you know, making shots and scoring in, in the bigger games, you know, they knew they could count on me. There was no NCAA tournament game that if I played in that I was going to give you my all or you you wouldn't respect what I did on the court. So, you know, when you look at it, yeah, I feel like I was. But at the end of the day, you know, I accomplished just as much as or more than most people that were there, you know. And and I look at it, I did it in three years. I did, like I said, my freshman year to me, because I did play, it was a wash. And sophomore, junior, and senior year, I led us in scoring all three years. So you can't go from – just taking most guys. Think about this: the the is that you don't you don't get a lot of playing time, and then you come back, you lead the team and score in the next three years. So, you know that body of work within itself lets you know, okay, maybe I could have done more as a freshman, but I just wasn't allowed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, being from Memphis, back in the, the Metro Conference days. Was Louisville their biggest rival for Memphis fans? Or was it some other school? Or oh, absolutely, man. Yeah. I, I definitely like the Cardinals, man. I didn't like them dudes. I didn't like uh, Purvis Ellis. Uh, who else they had? Uh, they had so many players, man. You know, when it, when I look when I, leave, I look back at their team, like even going back to um, to Griffin, Griff was there. You know, we it, it was a conference where – both teams had a lot of really good athletes, man, and, and they brought them every year. Memphis, Memphis really recruited guys out of their city. Louisville, you know, they Louisville could get a couple guys from from the city as well. But Memphis just had some diehard Memphis dudes, man, and them dudes could ball. They were big time ballers. So, coming from Brownsville to Kentucky, you didn't you had to learn how Lexington was in the atmosphere, but you already had that hatred for Louisville coming in, just from the Memphis perspective. <laughs> hey, that, hey, that is so true, man. So even going back to, to seeing Kenny Payne, I'm like, Ken, I can't believe you, you're you here at Louisville, man, Look, here at Kentucky, knowing you you played for Louisville. I said, I don't know how this is working out, but 
Kenny's a good dude, man. I know he, he, he you know, Louisville going to be his alma mater, but, you know, I know he has so much love for for UK, man. And, and that probably was 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 hurtful to all those Kenny Payne fans that lived in Louisville, is that this dude is actually helping Kentucky, you know, be one of the top recruiting class, help, help them win a championship in 2012, has been has been leading the Final Fours. And uh, and, and this is a Louisville Cardinal, man, which mm. – at the end of the day, to me, it really wasn't a robbery when I was at Kentucky because we, we, we beat them, like, what, three out of four times. And one time, I mean, our last year, I think you must have blasted them by, like, 30 points, you know. So I'm like, man, to be a robber, y'all got to win at least at least every two or three years, man. But when you lose every other every year, you lose three out of four. Ain't no robbery. Yeah. No, absolutely not, man. We, we own them dudes when I was in school. That's right. You you were on Coach Cal's staff for a couple of years, uh, so you kind of you definitely know how he ticks. With this class coming up, you know, assuming you get star, right now as far as anybody's played any minutes is Keon Brooks. That's the only returning guy that's played significant <laughs> minutes, and and Cal is confident. Are you? Is he like licking his chops at the challenge of bringing in all these freshmen and? Everybody says, well, nobody's experience. Is he just licking his chops at putting all these pieces together and, and having another strong team? Man, it's, it's it's been a puzzle for Cal ever since he came there in 2009, man. And he's put all the pieces together. So it's not about how well these teams play in November, December, and January. Will they be performing at their best in February, March, and trying to approach May, uh, April, excuse me, so that's what he really looked forward to is just that challenge, but knowing that, you know, he has a system in place that has been highly successful. And that's what he's going to lean towards. And what he's done a really good job of is what really makes a good good team is, of course, you know, getting the top recruits, um, having some tough conference games as well as non-conference games. But most importantly, man, keeping your staff together. If you can keep guys together, you know, that – that's a chemistry that a lot of people don't talk about because in many championships as Alabama have, you know, Nick Saban's lost some really good coaches. So you can only imagine if all those coaches had stayed with him for four or five more years is that they possibly have two or three more championships because now you're not losing recruits because those guys heavily recruited some guys that were going to end up going to their programs and that would have been going to Alabama. But, what I understand, and this is something, you know, I was talking to Johnny Dawkins some years ago when I really got into coaching. I was out in New Mexico State, and we were just talking and discussing. I was like, man, what, what usually leads to success? And that's what he told me. Say, he said, Tony, say, having a good staff, men that, that you respect, respect you, and scheduling. And then he said, most important, you got to have some players. He said, well, you can have – you can be a great coach in yourself, but if you don't have the players in the right conference, you will get – you would get slaughtered. And I always kept that in mind, even as I'm building my teams and I'm kind of kind of developing my AAU program is, you know, keeping good guys around, but also trying to get my players to develop and uh, stay together and build a chemistry amongst each other. Because at the end of the day, coaches can't rebound, coaches can't, can't make passes, coaches can't make shots, neither can your parents. So you got to be – you got to have a connection with your teammates and you guys, not only when 
you know, practice and games, you got to spend time with them outside of the confines of the sport that you play. And I think that's what helped our 96 team, you know, because we took a trip, an overseas trip, but we spent so much time with each other, you know, and with me being there four years, Walter being there four years, is that, you know, that even as younger player came, younger players would come in, they respected us, you know what I'm saying? Because we were the hardest working guys and we brought it every day. No player on that team would tell you like, man, Tony Delk, just because he might have been the best player, that dude worked hard every single day. I, I didn't take I didn't take no days off. And as I tell my players, you have to bring it every day. You have to play every day like it's your last day. I don't know, you know, if, if it's gonna be my last day or if I or what if I get hurt, you know, trying to take it easy. Like I was never gonna was gonna was gonna be a guy that was not gonna practice hard or play hard. Exactly. Flipping back to the NBA real quick. And of course, you, you got drafted by Charlotte. You had mentioned how Mike Fratello really liked you, but they needed to get Z and, and Vitali because they had to replace some bigs. Right. Playing, coming from Kentucky, playing up and down, up tempo. Wasn't Fratello playing that slowdown game with Terrell Brandon them <laughs> like 80 points a game? That would have that would have just killed you to play in that style, right? It really would have, but, you know, I think if you get drafted by a team, you know, and I think it, it was during those times, though, to be honest with you, that, you know, it was – you were you were seeing games in the 60s and 70s and 80s, and it was, it was some beat up basketball. It was some physicality. It was definitely not the 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 West Coast, which was high-octane, uh, showtime. It was, you know, it was definitely slow, slow down time. So it was slow time. But – you know, getting with uh, Dave Collins, you know, he had he had a good system in place. He allowed us to play and get up and down the court. We had some really good players in Glenn Rice, uh, Lottie Diva, uh, Anthony Mason, which was my dude, RIP to my big man, uh, Muggsy Bogue, Dale Curry, uh, G Money, Glenn. Because Glenn, Glenn was like, when I tell you, man, G, G Rice to shoot that money, G Money, whew, man, he had that. He had that, as I say, that wet ball. Like, he really could shoot that ball, man. And uh, Mac Geiger, um, uh, Scott Burrell was on that team. We, we had some really good veterans on that team, you know, and that team was was loaded with, with just good guys and good guys that were good ambassadors for myself and uh, Malik Rose. You know, we got a chance to come in with some really good dudes that took us under their wings, taught us a game. And what really helped us with that, we were four-year – four-year college guys. So we wasn't no immature guys coming in 18, 19, and, you know, not knowing what to expect, not, not being a professional. Like, we knew how to be a professional. Were there some after-practice shooting contests between yourself, Glenn, <laughs> How did those go? Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, I, I, I lost, put it like this, I lost more than I won. <laughs> man, when I tell you, I'll tell you I'm going against two snipers, man, two dudes, like, I knew I could shoot the ball, but shooting was on another level when I played them dudes. I was like, man, we might we might take 10. We might play – let's say we play five games shoot, making shots to 10. So making 50 shots. Man, them dudes might have missed, like, man, five or six shots. They might go a 10 clip, 10 clip, uh, nine clip. Uh, you might see another 10 clip, another nine clip. They might miss two or three shots, man. I'm like, dude, when I tell you it was, like, impressive, and not only was it impressive, they was talking trash while they were doing it. <laughs> they were telling me, like, man, young fella, you don't want none of this, man. Like, this going in, this going in. 
I'm about to give you a 10 piece here, a 10 clip here. No, it, it was real, man. It was real. When I tell you, like, like talking to me, they would shoot and then look at me and the ball was going in. I was like, hold on, man. Like, this is, I never seen this before. <laughs> it was like they were taunting me, man. I was like, dude, this ain't fair right here. But it let me knew how great a shooter both of those guys were. And, you know, when I look at Steph Curry, I was like, man, his dad was a great shooter himself. You know, quick, quick trigger wasn't a, a superb athlete, but, you know, he, he knew how to get that shot off uh, quick and fast. Yeah. So Steph was running around when you were there as a rookie in Charlotte, right? I, I, remember, I remember the Curry boys. They were young dudes, man. They, like, it's, it's funny when you look at them. I ran into Steph about three years ago, and uh, we talked a little bit. But I just remember him, you know, just being young and in the gym. So during that time, like, those guys who were older, like Glenn, Glenn had his son in there. Uh, Dale, of course, Muggsy. So all the older guys, they were family, man. They had kids, and we did see those kids come around. And, you know, it, it was just that – it was a connection, man. That was such a such a great place to to start my career. And I think it was – was it 97? I think the All-Star game when it was – they celebrated NBA at 50 with the 50 greatest players. That's when Glenn showed out in front of Dr. J and Bill Russell. And Oh, man. Glenn, Glenn – a, a, a G Money when got that MVP, that All Star MVP, man. G Money was was woo. G Money was shooting that thing, but um, but you know, I I think when I look back at that that team, uh, that Charlotte Hornet team, it was it was a good team for me to come in. I wish I had a been given more time, you know, to to kind of learn the position, um, to learn the system. I think most of my success, even going from high school to college, was that. I have to be a, I have to be in a place for a while. So it's really hard for me, you know, being a journeyman in the NBA to play on so many different teams, but not really stay long enough to for them to really see how I was what kind of player I could turn into. You know what I'm saying? I have to learn the system, being in the city, uh, knowing my personnel is, you know, now I felt like I was a part of a, a part of a family. I never I never felt anywhere that I was, you know, part of of, of the organization with what whether it was the present, what their present position was, the outlook was, or definitely what their future plans were. I, I feel like I wasn't part of their plan. And it's hard to be all in when you don't know how how organizations see you. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're going to still play hard, do your thing, but it's different when I know you invested in me. And not I'm not talking about, you know, money. Now, sometimes, like, you know, if I could – the one thing I, I would do all over again probably would – would do a different deal with a no trade clause um, in my contract, you know, or me after two years or every other year I can opt out. You know, I would, have, I would like, I would love to have had an option to stay or to go, but in that option, um, you know, or, or there was a trade, now you got to pay me five, six million dollars. Cause that's what usually holds the deal up because the reason why I was a, I moved around a lot because my contract was movable. You know, I didn't have, a, uh, a trade kicker in my contract. I wasn't making nine, ten million dollars, so it wasn't going to really affect the salary cap that much. But that makes organizations, GMs, and presidents that makes them hesitant when they know they're about to take a, a hit, or they can't trade a player because now you know what we can't get a player in exchange for him. So a lot was learned in all those years of playing and, and not getting the contract that I would have loved, which would. I had enough trade calls in it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you were better prepared after four years of college coming into the business side and, and just the, 
that whole transition. On that note, were you surprised to see EJ Montgomery go ahead and and name the draft and stay in there? Or? Hmm. Hey man, I'm speechless here. <laughs> when I tell you speechless, I am speechless. That's all I can say. You know, it is it's you know, you don't want to stop anyone from pursuing a dream or, you know, uh trying to look for, you know, trying to become their own man, have a career and something that you've done as a kid. But also there's time, you know what I'm saying? You gotta know they always say know your worth, you know, or be patient and you could be worth a lot more. So you have to kind of figure out, you know, what his thought process was, you know, as far as like, okay, I'm ready. Uh, college is not doing me any good no more. I think I've done the best I can do, which is that's the best you can do in college. Like, I don't think college will miss you. You know what I'm saying? So it wasn't like you averaged 18, seven, six, and you had these, these remarkable numbers, you know, now you really got to go and perform. Like there ain't no more underperforming now. Underperforming, we either, is going to send you overseas or you're going to be, you know, in another country that you, that, that you don't want to be in and we might not ever hear from you again. So there is no more underachieving right now. You know, once you put your name in and now, you know, you out there with a bunch of dogs, dogs and piranhas mm -hmm. and sharks. And if you ain't one of them dudes, you will find yourself not playing basketball or you'll be looking for another job somewhere else. Yeah. That's just the real of it right there for sure. Last thing, man, this this restart tonight, we got Jazz and Pippen, who shut everything down, is starting it all up tonight against Zion. And then you got Lakers and Clippers in the nightcap. What kind of basketball are you expecting to see? Is it going to be sloppy? Is it going to be nervous? Is it going to be weird? What What do you expect tonight? I don't know. You know what, man? I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it because, you know, I'll tell you what I'm more excited about was that when I found out they were going to have a team night at the Salvation Army, and our schedule changed. So our schedule is supposed to go from 7 to 9. So our last practice is going to be from 6 to 7. So I get a chance to go home and watch the first game, the second half of the first game, and then that Laker-Clipper game, I'm excited about that game. Although, you know, they're they going to be missing uh, Lou Will, who came to Atlanta, man, and got them $150,000 lemon-peppered Lou Will chicken wings and uh, Montrez Harold. You know, so they're they missing – they're missing two dynamic scores off the bench, like the two best one-two combo off the bench. You know, the Clippers will be missing. But I still think they have enough uh, in the arsenal um, in their chamber to beat, you know, beat the Lakers. But it should be a really, really good game. And uh, you're going to see two talented teams play against one another. But back to the wings, man. Uh, I'm going to take a trip down to Magic City, man, and, and try the wings out. <laughs> and, and look, let's see. Lou, we talked about this, you in different phases of your career. Lou is not a rookie. Lou, Lou almost <laughs> old as I am and still I mean Lou, Lou got 15, what, 14, 15 years in the league. Like, Lou, you you still trying to get wings, man? I'm like, dude, you should be having a salad, some real chicken. Like, wings? <laughs> come on, man. Like, like, yes, yeah, stop. Lou, Lou, come on, man. Just I roughly just be honest, man. You, you just want to have you just want to see some entertainment. You know what I'm saying? But to say some he could have, like I told someone, I said this. I think Outback Steakhouse to me has a pretty good wing. Outback Steakhouse, there's a place called Taco Mac. They grill their they grill their wings. They have really good wings as well. But I said, man, come on, you could have got some nice Outback Steakhouse wings and got you a nice salad and called it a night. But you want to go get them sweet little lemon pepper wings from Magic City, <laughs> and I, from 
and also they on the menu too. Yeah, his his own item. Got your he, own. He got his own wings, man. So I guess he wanted his listen, man. You know what? He wanted his own wings, man. And he couldn't get them nowhere else but the city. Like coming to America. When baby, when I say he got his own money, he got his own he got his own money. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we're going to let you get the moving and shaking so we can watch this game tonight. Another fun episode up in here. But uh, knock out what you got to knock out, and we'll we'll do it all again and talk about this first week of the NBA next time we get together for this Believe in Kentucky podcast, man. Let's do it, brother. Let's make it happen. Hey, peace out to everyone. We love y'all. Keep listening to us. We're going to keep this going. Absolutely. Hit us up. Follow us everywhere you get your podcast. We'll be here. Take care now. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.